0: Dark World, Episode 2, Curse of the Wendigo, written by David Raminer My hands were still bloody. That's the craziest thing. You could still see the swelling around the knuckles, the dirt in the fingernails, the specks of blood that ran up my wrist. I'd wash them. I swear I did. I'd wash them so much they started calling me Lady Macbeth funny that. I sat in the same rickety chair with the flickering fluorescent light, boxed in by walls as emotionless as concrete. At least it had a bit of colour here and there. Baby blue walls that I heard them say induced peace and relaxation. Guess it was hard to appreciate it when the metal from the cuffs dug into my skin. There was a dirty mirror ahead of me that covered most of the wall spotted with white and grey dots like that of an unclean bathroom mirror, spattered with ricocheting specks of toothpaste. Staring at myself, it would come as no surprise that I didn't recognise the man staring back at me. Bastards had shaved my head, and now stubbly growth dominated what was once a beautiful set of hair. At least, that's what she told me. I looked down at my hands again, I always did whenever I thought of her. My eyes were sunken. Not uncommon in my line of work, though burdened with the thickest of bags like dirty rainwater in a cloud. My mouth was bleeding from where I chewed my lip again, and my nose crooked from… To be honest, I don't even remember how that happened. But I remember what I remember and I suppose that's hell enough. That was when the door opened and he prowled in with a calm yet poised expression on his face. I clenched my fist and started to replay the last six months the way I always did as he stood there impassively, the hint of hatred in his eyes. I called him the tormentor, for what type of man would make me relive this over and over again? From the top, Mr. Mason, He prompted me with the clicking of his pen, ready to scribble down everything I'd already told him. Sometimes I messed with him, changed the details slightly, and gave him nuggets of fresh insight. In the end though, the outcome was always the same. My name is Chase Mason, I told the tormentor in the croakiest of voices. I'm a wildlife biologist. It all started about six months ago with the usual beeping of the alarm clock. My hand found the snooze button before my eyes cracked open, and there I was staring at the blurry red figures reading 6am. A slender set of fingers found their way through my hair, trailing down the back of my neck and then back up again. I love this hair, Ada whispered. If I knew what the next few days would have looked like, I'd have laid there forever. But we all look back on things we would have done differently, don't we? I force myself up out of bed, her hand falling weakly down my back and onto the mattress. Don't ask me why I was so cold and unresponsive. Maybe it was the cold mornings and the early starts making me crankier and far more irritable than usual. Maybe it was the unpacked boxes that still towered about our bedroom. Or the fact that we still hadn't found a school for our boy Marcus. Maybe I just wasn't in love anymore, as foolish as that now seems. I glanced over my shoulder at Ada and smiled. It was the least I could do. She glanced up with her subtle green eyes and smiled wanely, knowing full well that I was thinking about nothing but work. The stress of leaving our dreamy life behind in Florida to the Algonquin reserves of Canada had definitely taken its toll on both of us. But I couldn't say I wasn't excited as I stood up from the bed and meandered my way into the bathroom. I mean, there were things that I still missed. I missed the energy of our old home, the backyard pool, and especially the weather. But life had become stale. It was Groundhog Day. That month however I was able to break the cycle when I had been called in by the local authority to conduct research on a series of vicious attacks on the local wildlife. There had also been three known fatalities and a brutal attack on a young girl who described the so-called creature in question as a wolfman. I remembered brushing my teeth and grinning at the absurdity of it all. A fucking wolfman! People certainly had the wackiest theories for things they couldn't explain. Morning. Aaron passed me in the corridor as I left the bathroom, eyes bloodshot from crying no doubt, with a coffee in one hand and a cigarette in the other. It seemed like he never went anywhere without one or the other. Morning. I greeted him as he strolled his way over to the balcony. He was wrapped up in his black cotton robe, toes exposed on his velvet sandals, but somehow he didn't feel the cold as he stepped out onto the deck letting in a rush of wintry air. What are we going to do with him? Ada appeared behind me with a sigh. He's your brother, I might have said a little too accusatory, like he was a burden. To be honest, I'd grown quite sick of seeing him mope around, He'd been with us for two months back in Florida after his wife divorced him, and since then he quit his psychotherapy job and, ironically, he looked like he could do with some help himself. "'Well, I couldn't just leave him on the street,' Ada said, pouring herself a coffee. "'He had to come with us.' "'Did he?' I thought to say. "'If I'm not around to keep an eye on him, I'm worried what he might do.' I watched Aaron for a moment, just sipping on his coffee over the wooden rail of the deck, pondering on the dawning sunlight, transfixed on it almost, like he could hear it talking to him. The poor guy had been taken to the cleaners by his ex-wife's lawyers, and now... now he was just a shell, barely alive at all. Maybe he can help with the unpacking. I glanced around the dining area where we put most of the boxes, as well as along the kitchen counters which were lined with cups and plates still wrapped in newspaper. ''That's all you're interested in, isn't it?'' Ada said in a tone that warranted me reaching for the car keys and driving off to work. ''You just want to move on as quickly as possible, don't you?'' ''Is there much sense in dwelling on the past?'' I calmly told her. She folded her arms in that infuriating way, and the subtle vein on her forehead that I pretended to love began to throb. I miss our home, Chase. You mean you miss being ogled by the neighbours when you're poor side, I thought to say, but knew that it would probably see the coffee machine lobbed at my head. It wouldn't have been the first time. I miss home too, but this is a big opportunity for me to get my name out there. Your name is out there. She strolled over and placed her hands on my shoulders. You're one of the most renowned wildlife experts in the country, and the second most handsome too. Who's the first? I inquired. Bear Grylls, she told me. I don't really think that he's much... I didn't get a chance to finish my sentence. There came a scream from the next room, though not just any scream. It was a violent wailing a horrible, distressing sound that had me in into action. Marcus! I thrust open the door and there he was in bed, mouth wide as he screamed at the window, thrust in his arms like a mad composer. I froze. I'd seen his outbursts before, and while I was never great at diffusing him, I had learnt how to coax him back to reality. My son was openly crying, red in the face and clearly distraught at something at the window, but all I could do was stand there in the doorway, watching him lose his shit as the smell of urine became ever more apparent. Marcus! Ada barge passed me and threw her arms around him. He was inconsolable though, much as he usually was. His gaunt cheeks were shining with tears, his one big eye twitching and his smaller one dead and still. Caveman-like growls escaped his trembling lips, Webs of saliva sprayed into my wife's hair. It wasn't the first time I'd been disgusted at the sight of my hideous, deformed child. You had a nightmare, Marcus. Ada whispered to him as he sat there grunting and groaning. It was times like this I did truly admire her. She'd never looked at him funny, never flinched at the sight of him, and shown him nothing but the goodness of her heart. Me? I stared into the vacant eyes of that boy and would have sooner gone out onto the deck and conversed with Aaron. W-Winder, Marcus continued to point. Winder, go and check the window, Ada hissed at me before cooing by Marcus's ear. Daddy's going to investigate, sweetie. He'll show you there's nothing there. There isn't anything there, I said adamantly. Go and check, she admonished me. I sighed, but complied anyway. I lifted the latch on the misty window and pushed it open, only to be met by that chilly Canadian air. I couldn't say that it wasn't refreshing though, as the smells of the trees congregated around my nose, bringing with it the sense of adventure. It was almost enough to get me to stop thinking about my 16-year-old son, who Ada was now helping out of bed. Nothing here. I said with disdain, you see Marcus, Ada said, it was all a dream. The same dream you've been having since we got here, I thought to add, but I was sure the boy didn't understand me, I was sure he didn't understand a damn thing. I went to close the window, but to my shock there seemed to be two prints in the mud below, I'd seen enough wolf prints to know when I saw them, but these were much bigger looking and deeper too implying whatever left them must be quite heavy. It wasn't uncommon to see wolves in the area living this close to the woods and all, but something about those prints had me weirdly captivated. What is it? Ada asked. Is there something out there? No, I said and pulled the window shut. It's nothing. The last thing I wanted was for Ada to start thinking that a wolf was stalking our child or even that a wolf had been that close to the window in the first place. You go on to work, Ada told me. I'll get Marcus cleaned up and see what we can do about getting him into a school. Maybe Mummy's little angel can help me unpack some of these boxes too. Marcus grinned at that, and Ada grinned right back at him like she saw a normal 16-year-old boy, and not the bulbous creature with a wet patch down his trouser leg. I'll see you tonight. I kissed Ada on the forehead and I suppose a proper dad would have kissed his son too, but I didn't have a proper son, did I? As selfish and inhumane as that may sound. I patted Marcus on the head the way a man might have patted a diseased dog and hurried my way out of the house. I'd made it halfway down the long and daunting road towards the inner town where my new office was when I received the phone call. I placed my cell phone on the dashboard half expecting to see Ada's face flashing on the screen reminding me to buy groceries. Instead, it was a grey silhouette and the name Hoff. Before I could even say hello, my boss's brash tone rocketed out of the phone and blasted away whatever sleep was still left in my eyes. Chase, where in the blazes are you? He sounded disgruntled, not to say he ever sounded like anything else. To be fair, I'd only known the man for a few weeks, but already I'd sussed him out as a panicking meatball of rage. I'm driving in, I told him and took a moment to glance at the time. I certainly wasn't running late. Driving in where? He barked when I could hear the rustling of a bag of chips i'm going to the office are you daft didn't you see the news this morning no i didn't have time i said thinking about marcus and what he might have seen we'll get down to the reserve pronto there's been another attack of this rogue creature and the police want you to take a look at the wounds the reserve i said with reluctance i never went in for that superstitious nonsense but there was something about that stretch of land that gave me the creeps. Maybe it was the stories of witch doctors and shamans performing dark rituals on cursed land. I don't know. Whatever it was, it made me feel uneasy. Don't get all wimpy on me now, boy. Nothing here but fresh animal carcass. And a few corpses. Hoff said as cheerily as I'd ever heard him. Wait. Corpses? I almost slammed my foot on the brakes. Yes! Corpses! Looks like our creature has gotten a taste for human flesh. See you in a bit. Wait. Hoff hung up and I was left to drive the rest of the way in silence. I slowed as I turned into the reserve where a convoy of police cars were scattered here and there on the grasslands. A yellow sedan stood out like a sore thumb, and as I drew closer I could see Hoth pacing up and down, his stout arms flying back and forth as he gave directions to the biology crew. What had me straightening in the car was the sight of the natives, at least a dozen of them dressed in furs and ceremonial garb, lingering around the cordoned off square, daringly edging against the yellow police tape. They had no expressions just the same steely glare as they pondered on the bodies scattered in the grass. Why their presence made me so nervy, I couldn't quite say. You sure took your time getting here! Hoff marched his way towards me as I exited the car. His bushy moustache was shifting left and right, and the redness around his cheeks made them seem like they were swelling up. Hoff wasn't a man of much height, but what the short fellow lacked in Taunus, he made up for in gaudy bellows. He was the type of man you'd hear long before you actually saw him. What are we looking at here? I ignored his little jab, mincing words of Hoff was a quick way to the unemployment line, or so I'd heard. Death and a lot of it! Hoff swung his fat arm across the open field, Forensics in their white suits were mulling over the human bodies, and a few of my colleagues stood puzzled over the remains of what looked like bloody flesh and fur. The police were mostly smoking, either that or staring off against the natives who didn't look like they'd be leaving any time soon. What's their deal? I asked Hoff as he led me over to the first carcass. Hell if I know! Hoff shrugged. Bunch of superstitious pansies, warning us about this being sacred ground and it's dangerous. You think they have a point? I asked half. Not that I was into all this superstitious nonsense, but merely to amuse myself at his reaction. Of course they bloody don't, he grunted. Bit of police state put an end to their trifling. Thank goodness, I mused before exchanging a look with one of the natives whose eyes were filled with dread. Hoff stood over my shoulder, breathing down my neck like a damn hawk. Even as I touched the deep chasm-like holes that had been torn into the hide of what may have been a deer, Hoff stood there with his hands on his hips, waiting for me to announce the identity of the animal who had done this. But the holes in the deer were just the beginning. Its neck had been slashed and blood had frozen around the gash. One of its antlers had most certainly been chewed, the other bent backwards in an unnatural fashion. It retained three of its four legs while the fourth was severed and lay nearby with bones shooting out. Its flesh had been mostly devoured, though the cuts were not precise or calculated, meaning that something feasted on the animal as opposed to skinning it. It ruled out a human attack, but what animal would savagely brutalize another like this? They say it was wolves! Hoff had a tendency of answering questions I was thinking. Wolves hunt in packs. I said as I examined the teeth marks on the deer. This seems like a single creature did this, and if it was a wolf it wouldn't have the strength to just rip off a deer's leg like this. So what does? Hoff asked. A bear? I guessed. But there aren't many sightings of bears in this area, and from what I know about bears they wouldn't brutalise an animal in this way. Do you think it might have been human then? Hoff didn't sound convinced. I pointed at the teeth marks on the deer. You ever seen a human with a set of teeth like that? Hoff scratched his moustache. Only in those vampire movies. What's it called, uh, Twilight. You watch Twilight? I looked up with a laugh. I have daughters, Chase. It's either watch the damn movie with them or talk about college majors. Brutal. You're lucky you have a son, Chase. Hoff muttered and marched off to another carcass. Yeah, real lucky, I thought to say. The more I saw of the carcasses, the less everything made sense. To tell you the truth, I'd never seen anything like this. Eyes of hairs had been sucked out, ears clipped off, feet were missing and tails seemingly severed. It wasn't the best smelling place either, as you could imagine. I couldn't count how many times I'd walked in shit, damn near slipping in strewn guts that I wasn't even sure were exclusively animal. There were two more deers even more compelling than the first, one who'd been sawn in half and left to rot, and another that had its head completely removed. We searched for a while, but we could never find it. What on earth could have done this, I found myself asking. I thought I'd be able to piece some clues together if I was allowed to examine the human corpses, but the police weren't too keen on having anyone other than the forensic crew near the bodies. Pretty soon they'd set up tents around each victim, and had left us wildlife experts stumbling in the muck trying to figure this all out. I'm stumped! Hoff threw his hands by his side. 25 years I've been doing this, and never have I seen something like this before! I'd only been doing this for the better part of 10 years, but still, nothing could have prepared me for the bloodbath we now sat in. I was about to get up and leave having examined everything at least a dozen times. We had our samples and our data, now all we had to do was run it through the lab and see if they could identify this creature, or at least prove that it may have been a human. But something caught my eye, there in the dirt was a sunken paw print, a paw print that bore an eerie resemblance to the one I'd seen outside of Marcus's window. Hey Hoff! I called him over. What do you make of this? Hoff took his glasses off and leaned closer to the print, so close that I was scared he might have gone tumbling over. Four toes, four spikes, and a triangular-shaped bump. Hoff nodded to himself. That's a wolf print, alright, but it's deep. Must have been a big bugger. Certainly bigger than normal. Funny how its prints don't lead anywhere, I noted. There's just one print. That's not normal. Because it is no paw print. A deep voice rumbled above me in hoff. Hoff damn near slipped on his arse as he scrambled to his feet and I fared little better, sitting there frozen as a native towered over me. What do you mean it's no paw print? Hoff challenged him. And you lot shouldn't be here anyway. Go on, scram. You're hindering our investigation. It is no paw print, the native said again with a stern conviction, eyeing us both with a certain loathing in his eyes. At least it does not belong to a wolf, nor any animal you can conceive. So let me guess, Hoff snorted. It's Bigfoot, is it? Tell me it's Bigfoot. I dare you. Bigfoot is my cousin, the native replied without hesitation, and pointed at a smaller man standing as close to the forensic tents as he could get. Bigfoot did not do this. Christ help me, Hoff rolled his eyes. So what did do this then? I asked as I was all out of ideas. The native didn't look at me right away. His strong jaw twitched a moment, like he was wrestling with the idea. It is a beast that roams the land, taking meat from the bones of all it finds. Does it have a name? I asked, partly intrigued and partly out of sheer amusement. The native looked at me then, really looked at me, like he was staring into the deeper parts of my soul and didn't quite like what he saw. I couldn't blame him. I wasn't a huge fan of those parts either. "'It is not my place to say,' the native declared. "'Funny that,' I said and earned myself a hint of a scowl. "'You will both do well to leave this place.' The native bowed his head. The hunger of the beast will not stay sated for long. "'We'll bear that in mind,' Hoff said with a smirk. The native didn't look too convinced. "'Guess I better start leaving some snacks out for this beast at my house then,' I laughed. The native gave me a sideways glance. "'What do you mean?' I grinned and pointed at the footprint. "'Found a print just like that outside my son's window this morning. "'Seems like this beast of yours is covering a lot of ground.' Hoff found that pretty funny, laughing to himself. But the native looked over positively horrified, You must be careful, friend, the native told me, in a tone that implied we definitely were not friends. The beast does not tread without reason. You should leave this place while you can. Take your son and your wife and all those you hold dear and leave. I do miss Florida. I looked to Hoff who burst out laughing again. You have been warned, friend he told me before tracking his way back through the carcasses and disappearing into the wood. What a fucking loon! Hoff scratched his head. For once, we agreed. The tormentor slammed his fist on the table, a surge of redness palpitating around his wrist from where he squeezed. And just like that, I was back in the room, my own personal hell, where I was neither dead nor alive. With nothing but the chair, the desk, and the blue walls for company. Oh, and the cuffs. How could I forget about the steel chafing into my flesh? You're really trying my patience, Mr. Mason, he said with that controlled sort of seething, like a savage wild man who had learned composure but hadn't quite gotten it down yet. I anticipated the day he'd hit me, but it never came. I wanted him to hit me. I heard that if he did, they'd have to bring in someone else. You wanted the story. I'm telling you the story. Again, I said as calmly as I could. He'd never have guessed I wanted to snatch the pen out of his hand and jam it into his eye socket. Where are your wife and son, Mr. Mason? He prompted me. I took a moment to think about it. I wondered what would have happened if I just made something up, told him they were in Mexico eating enchiladas just to see what would happen. In the end though I didn't have the energy to formulate anything concrete and so I gave him the answer he'd come to expect. You really are a broken record aren't you Mr. Mason? The Tormentor sighed as he pulled a tissue out of his blazer pocket to dab his nose. Who's broken? I asked him. The record or the one playing the record? He didn't like that. The creases on his forehead tightened and a vein I hadn't quite noticed before made a subtle appearance. It reminded me of Ada. The Tormentor clicked his pen and was scribbling something down. But halfway through he looked up at me and gave me a vengeful glare. Suddenly I thought maybe I was the one getting the pen through the eye. Continue your story, Mr. Mason, he told me. So I did. I remembered stirring in my sleep that night on the account of Marcus's screaming. The boy was like a smoke detector, shrill enough they probably heard him in the surrounding forest. Ada groaned something out the side of her mouth, something about it being my turn and I had half a mind to tell her that it was her turn to get a damn job. But I didn't. It wouldn't have been fair. If she wasn't here to look over Marcus then who would? Aaron? I wouldn't trust that depressed alcoholic moron to look after a dog, he'd probably talk it into suicide. I kicked the covers off and lumbered my way across the room out the door and onto the landing. That was when I heard it. How I heard anything over the sound of Marcus's wailing, I'll never know. But it was there. It was a throaty growl, so deep and intense that I knew my son couldn't have made that sound. It hardly sounded like anything from this world, and I'd heard the growl of almost every animal alive. I hurried to the door. My heart was thumping in my chest. Maybe I did love the boy after all, because I could think of nothing but storming in there and facing whatever was present. The door was stuck. I turned the handle a dozen times, but it wouldn't budge. I found myself shouldering the door, throwing my own weight against it. Marcus! I shouted before hammering the door. Open the door! I tried again, desperately ramming my shoulder against the wood to break the door down. Marcus still screamed. In fact, I was certain he didn't take a breath. I stood back, unbeknownst as to how close he was to the door before booting it as hard as I could. It swung open immediately, bits of wood spewing here and there as the door smacked against the adjacent wall. Marcus was sitting there pointing at the window again, as I stormed in half expecting to see an intruder. But there was nothing, just the blackness of the window my own reflection cast in a vague outline, courtesy of the moonlight. Marcus. I started towards him before stopping short. He looked up with his bulbous head, both of his dead eyes wet with tears, tears a father should have no qualms wiping away. He was drawling at the mouth, but at least the screaming had subsided as he slowly receded back against the headboard. Marcus. It was just a dream, I said in what I hoped was reminiscent of what Ada had said earlier. But Marcus didn't look convinced, and for once I didn't blame him. Sorry, Da, he whispered in between snivels. I assumed Da meant Dad, but I wasn't sure. Maybe Marcus wasn't sure either. It's okay, son, I said as I touched his head for perhaps the first time since his diagnosis there's nothing to be sorry for. But you hate me," he said, perhaps the only coherent words I'd ever heard him say. Time froze then as I stood staring down at my son, a term I'd used loosely as a result of his condition. I'd always thought he was too dumb to pick up on my disdain. I tried to hide it at first, but as the years went on I couldn't hide it the way I once did. When I looked at my son, I saw a freak, and I was far more ashamed of him than I was at myself for feeling that way. I... I don't hate you, was all I could muster, and I thought maybe he'd smile again in that awfully giddy way whenever Ada tickled his neck. But I was wrong. He didn't smile. He just looked at me like a wounded animal, tears in his misshapen eyes and full of hurt. Shameful as it sounds, I was thankful when I heard that sickly growl again. It came from the window and set Marcus off into a string of hysterical shrieks. I hit the lights on in the room and that's when I saw it in the window, a pale figure that stood at least six feet tall. It stood there for the briefest of moments, so brief I wasn't sure what I had seen. It appeared to have translucent fur, as it scarped off like a peep in tom, disappearing into the darkness. Was that the creature we'd been trying to identify earlier today? I had to know for sure. Don't go! Marcus must have known what I was thinking and went to reach for me. But I managed to maneuver out of his reach, and despite his cries, I didn't look back as I stormed into the living room to retrieve my rifle. A part of me wishes I stayed with Marcus then, been a proper dad and seen him off to sleep at the very least. But I wasn't a proper dad. Ever. I grabbed the rifle in my hands only to find Aaron sitting in the living room, a glass of scotch in one hand and his phone in the other. No doubt he was stalking his ex-wife again, drowning his sorrows as he downvoted every one of her photos particularly the ones with her and her new boyfriend. We didn't say anything to each other, but merely acknowledged each other like we thought the other one was weird, me and my gun and him and his unhealthy habit. The cries of Marcus were drowned out as I grabbed a torch and strode into the night. I was hardly well dressed to brave the cold, and while my robe and slippers served well against the bathroom chill, they did nothing against the unforgiving whips of icy air outside. I should have gone back to get my boots and coat but i was already moving out of my own burning curiosity to see this creature for myself that and i didn't want to deal with marcus didn't want to face the boy i'd been crushing for so long i stepped off the garden patio pushing further into the dark listening carefully for the sound of the creature its footprints were everywhere large wolf-like prints that were heavy set and fresh the torch danced in my hand and I realized I was shivering. I had to have been no more than 30 feet from the house. I couldn't turn back now. I wouldn't turn back. I thought I'd heard a snarling in the dark by an old tree in the garden, but when I flashed my torch over there, there was only an owl staring down at me, looking mighty peeved. The sound of my own breath was louder than usual, and misty smoke billowed out from my mouth. I clutched the rifle tight as I scanned the willows, scanned the pond, scanned the rocks in the corner and the broken fence on the left-hand side. It seemed like the intruder had fled the scene. Or so I thought. A branch snapped to my right and I spun, finding the creature immediately with my flashlight. But it was no hideous, murderous-looking monster. I was certain it wasn't even the same shape as the thing I'd seen in the window. A common lone wolf sitting patiently in the darkness, watching me with the most focused set of yellow eyes I'd ever seen. I considered firing a shot to scare it away. As docile as it seemed, a wolf is still a wolf after all. But before I could pull the trigger the wolf scuttled off into the shrubbery. The coo of the owl droned out above me, and I was left in that chilly, wintry night shivering like a madman in my slippers. I felt more than a little foolish, and suddenly I became very aware of the rifle cradled in my hands. The surge of adrenaline I'd felt was seeping out of me like beer from a broken bottle, and I was left deflated at the realization the screaming boy was still in his room waiting for me. I took a few steps back, searching the darkness for any sign of the creature, hoping for any sign that it was still out there, Anything to stop me having to face my child and the overwhelming guilt. But I could feel the chill in my bones now, and that alone had me jogging back to the house. Albeit reluctantly. Marcus had stopped screaming. I assumed that Ada had gotten up and taken care of him as I made my way through the lounge. Aaron was still sitting there on his cell phone, furiously swiping on one of those dating apps with a grim smirk on his face. If I was a better man, I might have shown him some sympathy, but who was I kidding? I couldn't even love my own son. I climbed up the stairs to Marcus' room, half expecting to see Ada with him, cradling him back to sleep. Oddly enough, his duvet looked like it had been flung onto the floor. I entered cautiously, but Marcus wasn't there. I even took a peek under the bed, but he was nowhere to be seen. Great, I guess he's in my bed then. Ada had always been too accommodating of the boy. I stumbled into my room only to find the lights were on and to my surprise, one half of the duvet was hanging messily off the bed. Neither my wife nor son were there, where I expected them to be. Ada? I called out as if there was somewhere she could hide. It was then I noticed the dresser had been moved into a weird angle. The cosmetic items and creams she used all toppled over. Nail varnishes, cotton pads and mascara all scattered around the dresser. As I approached there looked to be nail scratchings on the floor. Four long grooves that I didn't remember being there the night before. The grooves ran across the floor all the way to the open window, where a net curtain billowed gently in the wind. Why the window was even open at all was a mystery to me. I stormed over with the intention of shutting it, but that was when I saw movement in the street below. I nearly did a double take, I didn't believe what I was seeing. My mouth went dry, my eyes widening with horror, and all of a sudden I was short of breath. The creature stood at least six feet tall, with a ghostly grey skin tone. Its legs were stalk like bony and enveloped with the thinnest of hair, it had a hunched back. A large carapace of bone and sickly sinew. Its arms could have been as long as its legs, perhaps longer. They were black as far as I could tell, with giant hands that could likely fit around the bonnet of a car. It moved quickly through the street, making a throaty grunting sound as it skittered this way and that. Under each of its arms it held a body. On the right was Marcus, eyes closed and sleeping as peaceful as could be, In the left was Ada, her eyes wide and desperate as she looked at me. Hey! I shouted at the creature. Put them down! But the creature didn't stop. In fact, it didn't even look at me, for all I knew it hadn't even heard me. I got to see my wife's face one last time as she mouthed something to me, her green eyes streaming with tears. Then she faded right before my eyes, along with the creature and my son. I didn't move straight away. A part of me was trying to put together everything I'd just seen. Was it all a dream? Was this just some deep, lucid sort of dream? I tried snapping myself, but to my horror I didn't wake. My hands began to shake and all of a sudden I couldn't remember where I put the rifle. I couldn't get control of my breathing as I heaved and huffed short bursts of air choking on my own saliva and clutching at my tightening chest. The creature had my family. I kept repeating the same line in my head over and over again, as if it would make it more tangible, but every time it was just more ambiguous. The creature had my family. All I could do was grab the edge of the windowsill as tightly as I could, debating as to whether calling the police was the best move to make. But then, what would I even say? Um, yeah, so there's this monster thing outside my house that I think may be responsible for killing all those people and animals from earlier, and it also just kidnapped my wife and son. They'd probably just throw me in a padded cell with a straitjacket. The creature had my family, and I had no idea what my next move was. Until the native flashed into my mind. Be careful, friend. He had said, the beast does not tread without a reason. Maybe I should have just gone to the police, told them everything and just been done with it. It was always going to look suspicious, was it not? A man's wife and son go missing and everyone usually turns to the husband. The spark of Ada wasn't that bright anymore and I'd never taken to Marcus given his condition, but I wished no ill upon them. I didn't want them dead, quite the opposite. Even now, with their absence, my heart swelled something painful. I darted downstairs in a frenzy, got my boots on and wrapped up in my coat. No, the police wouldn't understand such things. But the natives seemed to have some knowledge in all this. Aaron watched me stalk about the lounge, grabbing my keys, my wallet, my phone and triple-checking my pockets. Pretty soon, though, his eyes were drawn to something far more foreboding. The rifle lay within his reach, and for the first time in a long time, I saw fire in his eyes. He licked his lips at the sight of it, his mouth slowly peeling apart in amazement, like he'd just laid eyes on a pair of breasts for the first time. I snatched the rifle out of his reach and watched the light die in his eyes. I, I, was, I was just looking at it, he said of a start. Honest, I, I was. Did you see anything come in here? I ignored him. While I was outside, did you see anything abnormal? He stared back at me with his milky and tired eyes with nothing to say except for no. Something has taken Ada and Marcus, I told him, trying to keep the panic out of my voice. I need to go to the reserve. Aaron straightened in his seat. What do you mean something has taken them? Aren't they upstairs? No, it's a I was going to explain, but it all sounded too crazy to repeat what I'd seen. What could Aaron do anyway? He barely seemed burdened by the fact his sister and nephew had gone missing. In fact, he seemed more than content just to sit there on his phone. Just wait here, I told him and made my way out to the car. The moon sat timidly in the black sky. Perhaps the only source of light except for my high beams as I poured into the reserve. I looked over to the passenger seat where the rifle was sitting and snatched it up, checking the safety was off and checking if I filled it with bullets. Admittedly I'd done this for the twelfth time with my shaking hands, but could you blame me? I saw no signs of the natives, no signs of anyone in this remote grassland. Most of them were probably comfy in their homes at this time. Maybe some of them even lived in the inner city, and only came out to hound investigations like ours. The yellow police tape was torn and whipped about like a ribbon caught in a fan. I could still see patches of land strewn with bones and guts that we'd left behind from the massacre, and the crisscrossing of deep-set tire tracks in the mud from all our vehicles. But there was no sign of the natives, just the pitter-patter of rain on the windshield. I let my head hit the steering wheel. There was nothing left but to go to the police. I started theorising what the best story was. Surely I couldn't tell them a monster like the one I'd seen had taken my family from right under my nose. I would have been better off just telling them I'd done away with them myself. Maybe I could just report them missing, tell the feds my wife and son were simply abducted in the night and I was none the wiser. But then, what about Aaron? That pathetic worm of a man flashed before my eyes and I imagined him blabbering his mouth about me storming off outside with a gun, disappearing into the night and acting all strange. No. The police would never buy my story. but They would never buy the truth either. Shit. I punched the steering wheel in frustration as the rain came down harder. Shit. I punched it again, this time hitting the horn. Shit. I struck it again, harder and harder as the rain drilled against the car, flooding the windscreen. I was openly screaming now, hammering my arms against the dashboard, striking anything in a blind, pointless fury, sinking further and further into a wild tantrum I couldn't control. There was a flash of light that had my heart skip a beat and then a terrifying boom of thunder shook the entire reserve. The army of trees ahead of me were shuffled like cards in a deck, barks bent and leaves and branches tangled of one another in a furious commotion. The wind howled long after the explosion and I sat there cowering in my car, looking up at the night sky ablaze with blue streaks of lightning. I was about to reverse and drive away. I had no destination in mind, but I knew I had to get out of there. I wish I'd gotten into reverse gear faster, Wish I'd looked back and given the gas the touch it needed to get the car going. But instead I looked straight ahead as the windscreen wipers swiped back and forth. And there ahead of me stood a figure. He had his hands raised. Though in his left he had a flashlight. How I hadn't seen him until now was a mystery. He was wearing a long green coat and stood at least six foot tall as he lumbered his way over. I locked the doors. He moved to my side of the vehicle. His hood blew off his head, revealing his weather-beaten face, his dark hair tied in a ponytail by a couple of colourful ribbons. His eyes were dead like before, his mouth twisted in a grim, sorrowful way. I lowered my window a crack. "'So, you have returned, friend,' the native spoke, but his voice seemed to carry over the howl of the wind. The rain pummeled him, but he showed no sign of any discomfort. "'The creature!' I shouted over the wind. "'Where do I find it?' The native smirked. "'You do not find it. It finds you.' "'Cut the shit!' I roared. "'Just tell me where it is!' He didn't say anything for a moment, but his smirk was there. His eyes weren't so dead anymore were widening with bitter amusement you laughed at me he said you and your fat friend laughed at me and now you have come to seek my counsel please I deflated just tell me where it is and man and I'll pay you pay me he seemed genuinely confused. Money, I told him as I reached into my wallet. There had to be nearly a hundred bucks there. I took fifty, lowered the window even more and handed it to him. He looked at it like I'd just handed him my own shit. I do not want money, he shook his head. Then have more money, I upped the ante and added another note. Here, I don't want money. He said again. Yes, you do! I was in hysterics. I threw the money at him and then I threw the entire wallet. I pulled the keys out of the ignition and tossed them at his face. I even reached back and grabbed a pack of leftover chips and tossed them at him too. I would have given him the coat around my shoulders if he hadn't stopped me. Why are you here, friend? I clenched my fist. I was shaking something chronic. I couldn't look at the native anymore, I just sat there staring at the dashboard of my car, unsure as to what was even real anymore. The native didn't prompt me for an answer, he just stood there patiently in the rain for what must have been five minutes, his eyes fixed on me. It has my family, I eventually said. You were right about the footprints, I saw it with my own eyes, saw it scoop up my family and disappear into the air. Mm. The native grunted like he'd already deduced as much. You best come with me, friend. Come with you, I said aghast. Where? Can't explain, he said and pointed into the woods where the trees were still being bullied by the wind. But I will take you there. Perhaps it is not too late to stop the Wendigo. Wendigo? I shook my head what the hell is that? The less you know, friend, the better. Now let's go, there's not much time. Then get in. I unlocked the doors. No cars. He does not like things of the modern world. You want us to walk in this weather? I barked as if he was mad. And who is he? The native didn't answer me. He simply glanced into the passenger seat and said rather poignantly, Leave the car, before he started walking away. Then he muttered, But bring the gun. We walked for what felt like miles, through the muddy, freezing, punishing woods. The natives stalked through the land as simply as I might have walked on a sidewalk. Me? I was stumbling about like a cripple at the edge of a shoreline, tackled by the tide and tripped by the pebbles. Now and again lightning flashed and white light streaked through the wood, flooding the area and taking my breath away. The native didn't show any signs of being bothered by the storm, in fact I swear I heard him chuckle at one point. We had to climb a steep incline spread with treacherous mud and a carpet of scattered leaves. I had to use the gun as a crutch and even then I nearly toppled backwards. The mud soaked through my boots and I could feel the cold moisture infiltrating my socks, settling between my toes. Here, the native said and swept his arms slowly out before him. To my surprise, a lone red tepee sat in its own space flanked by fallen trees and stationed perfectly below what seemed to be a beam of moonlight. Coloured smoke billowed around the teepee blues and pinks misting in and between each other. The area around the teepee looked untouched by the rain, a patch no bigger than a few strides and drier than it ought to have been. I looked up half expecting to see a shelter of some kind, perhaps a makeshift shield of leaves. There was nothing but the black sky and the shy moon poking out from the smoggy clouds. The rain still fell, but the droplets didn't dampen the sand-coloured dirt around the teepee. The flaps around the teepee weren't billowing in the wind either, but merely swaying gently to reveal the darkness within. ''Come,'' the native told me. ''The Shaman awaits!'' ''Shaman,'' I sounded off to make sure I'd heard correctly. ''Shaman,'' the native confirmed. ''Be sure to greet him as such!'' He wasn't quite what I was expecting, Then again, I wasn't sure what to expect. A fat man sat cross-legged on the floor of the teepee, eyes closed and a short grin on his face. The same coloured smoke was puffed around the room. With it came the profound smell of honey and jasmine. It made me queasy. The man before us seemed like he had no idea we were there. His stomach was tattooed with white ink, and though there was a storm outside he sat mostly naked except for the ceremonial skirt he wore. There were feathers in his hair, bangles around his arms, and a scary-looking knife by his belt that had me clutching the gun tight. Announce yourself. The native nudged me. I looked at him in the way I might have looked at a friend egging me on to talk to a girl at a bar, but at least I knew what I was getting from a girl at a bar. Probably a weird look and a cold shoulder. This guy? This guy hadn't even opened his eyes. Uh, I stammered. Hello, Shaman? Shaman? His eyes snapped open. The native took a long step back and I had half a mind to join him. What do you mean, Shaman? The fat man barked at me, both his eyes wide and full of venom. I managed to point to the native. He told me that you were... FOOL! The fat man hissed at the native. Stop telling people I'm a shaman. It gives them the wrong impression. I'm a man of medicine. Of course, the native replied, barely able to keep the laughter out of his voice. I would have said something if I wasn't entirely confused as to where I was and what was going on. Outsider, the medicine man addressed me. Why have you come to this place? My... I look back at the native for some sort of assistance. My family were taken by... By the monster. Monster? The medicine man rubbed his chins. Be more specific. You mean there are others out there? Many hide in the shadows of our world he said with an all-knowing grin. Others, in plain sight. He speaks of the Wendigo. The native stepped forward and seemed to have gotten the giggles out of his system. It has taken his family. He comes here to seek its location so that he may earn them back. Ah! Many men have gone to battle with a Wendigo spirit. I know of only one who succeeded though in the end, it did not matter. What the hell is it? I asked. The medicine man took a moment to flick a bit of dirt from his teeth. It is a spirit of insatiable greed and hunger. It lives to consume the flesh of the living, the birds, the deer, the household pet. You, me, none of us are exempt from its appetite. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. But I'd seen it had I not. I'd seen the Wendigo right outside my house, skittering down the road with my wife and child in its arms. How does a thing like this even exist? I challenged him. Many things of this nature exist. You do not see it because your eyes are not open until it is upon you. Do not blame yourself. You are merely a product of your father's. You ask me how something of this nature can exist? How can it not in this world? The world is full of greed, war, savageries, injustice and bloodshed. The materialisation of evil is therefore only certain." I didn't much care for his answer. To be honest none of what he really said sunk in until after it had all been done. He sat there all pompous and wise, his fat cheeks swelling with triumph like he'd defeated the wendigo himself with the lecture he'd given me. "'We will have to conduct the procession,' the medicine man spoke at last. "'Sit.' "'What?' "'Sit!' the medicine man hissed. For some reason I did as he said and sat right before him. The native moved silently beside me and took to his knees his eyes closed and his head bowed low. I wondered whether I had to do the same but then the medicine man began to chant something. To me it sounded like a long creaking door. All of a sudden his hands began to move before his face in a trance-like fashion. I couldn't explain why I didn't just grab the gun and head out then and there but where would I have gone? So instead I sat there transfixed by his tattoos, which were now lighting up like a Christmas tree. I tried to move, but I was stuck. My legs weren't responding. My arms were heavy, and when I tried to speak, no words came out. I managed to crane my head at the native, only to find his head moving slowly back and forth, seemingly bobbing to music only he could hear. My eyes grew heavy. I'm pretty sure the aromatic smoke was responsible. I wrestled against it, but in the end my eyes surrendered, and I was dreaming. There's no way that dream could have lasted any longer than 30 seconds. The native would try and tell me it had been hours, but I didn't buy it. Out of all the crazy things I'd seen that night, that's what I chose not to believe. I know, crazy. The dream had me running through the woods and somehow i knew where the wendigo was i knew where ada and marcus were and with rifle in hand i was charging towards it i wasn't scared either but merely charged with a certain electricity that had me storming forth more like a marine and not a wildlife specialist it was an intoxicating feeling a high i hadn't felt before i felt invincible unstoppable, perhaps even godlike. I felt like I could crush the world in my palm. I could do anything in that moment. I was charging through the trees like a warrior juiced up on cocaine. I set my sights on the Wendigo's ghastly hide and lifted the gun. My eyes snapped open. Easy now, the medicine man said calmly before me. Take a moment to gather your bearings, Outsider." I blinked hard. The feeling I'd felt was still there, coursing through my veins. But it was fleeting, and with it came that dreadful anticipation of returning to normal. That same feeling when you realise you're sobering up. I was falling from my high and the ground was rushing to meet me. Now you know where the Wendigo is, The medicine man placed his hands on my shoulders. "'I've blessed you with an enchantment, but you should know that it won't last long, and if you don't listen to me that...' I shrugged him off and hurried to my feet. I knew where the wendigo was. I knew where my family were. I'd wasted enough time here. I brushed past the native and snatched up the gun. "'Wait, friend. We have not finished the ritual. If you leave now, then. I know where it is, I snapped. I'm going to kill it. You should really let me finish the second blessing, the medicine man advised. To leave now is to. I didn't listen. I still wonder whether it would have been any different if I'd stuck around to get the second blessing. I'd like to think it wouldn't have made much of a difference. But damn it, I still wonder. I try not to blame myself, I still felt like a god as I stormed out of the teepee and into the rain. I was so cocky right then I almost tossed the gun to one side, I'd beat the creature to death with my bare hands. But like I said, that high was fading fast, and before long the cold rain had me sobering up to my senses, and the cold wind reinstated the fear I should have felt all along. I found myself glancing back at the teepee, contemplating whether to go back for the second blessing, or maybe even just a bit of advice. My heroic run was short lived, pretty soon I'd gone from leaping like Tarzan across trees and through narrow confines to a geriatric who had a love affair with the floor. I couldn't keep to my feet, my damn legs were shaking and not because of the cold, To be honest, I didn't feel the cold of all the adrenaline pumping through me. I held the rifle close like a lover. Closer than I'd ever held Ada. Closer than I'd ever held Marcus. That was for sure. The trees were black this deep into the woods. Black like ink and horrifyingly leafless, giving way to the swirling darkness of the night sky above. Each tree was like a disfigured hand thrusting out of the mud, and the worst thing about them was they provided no cover from the eyes of the Wendigo. This whole time I'd come in with a mindset of pouncing on it unaware, but now it was me looking over my shoulder. I had as much chance of seeing it as it did seeing me. My boots crunched the leaves. It was impossible to creep around. Every movement had the fabrics of my clothing announcing my presence. I kept the torchlight low, hoping it wasn't serving as a beacon to the wendigo that I was lurking in its domain. My breath was quickening. I tried to breathe only through my nose, but I felt suffocated. The air was thicker here, so thick it was almost crushing. The wind had calmed down, and the rain had become nothing more than a drizzle. But something told me that the real storm was only just beginning. It wasn't long before I could smell it. I didn't know what a Wendigo smelled like, but what I smelled that night. Sometimes you just know. It smelled foul. A combination of vomit and shit permeated the already thick air and had me gagging and wheezing. I pressed on barely able to stop myself contributing my own sick to the stench. My eyes were watering, my bladder was full, my back hurt. I was losing sight of what my mission even was here or how I'd even hoped to achieve it. I remember the medicine man had said he had known of one man who'd successfully defeated a Wendigo spirit but in the end it hadn't mattered. It made me wonder what that guy had done. And why his efforts were so futile in the end. Surely I wouldn't be the same. No, I'd make sure. Jeez. Someone whispered in a dark voice. Who's there? I lifted the gun and spun around. I circled around at least eight or nine times, scanning everything from the brittle blackened trees to the uneven rolls of dirt. I didn't even know which direction it came from. I pressed on. My mouth was dry. My nose was running. But I couldn't stop because I was holding the rifle like my life depended on it. (sighs) Angry came the voice again. This time I didn't react. It sent chills down my spine and had me twitching with fear. I knew I'd heard it further ahead this time further onwards amongst a cluster of broken bits of log, behind a mound of dirt. Closer, it said, and like a fool I obliged. I stood at the mound of dirt, but the only thing I could focus on was that smell. That smell of guts and blood and shit. I swear to you, I can still smell it now. That sweating, sickly, sacrilegious smell of death. I could feel it in the back of my throat as I forced myself to walk around the mound of dirt. I struggled to move around the logs, cut up my legs on sharp branches and earned myself enough splinters. Gone was the element of surprise, and if the wendigo didn't hear me cursing the logs, it would have heard me coughing up that thick, fusty smell. I clutched the gun as I inched further around the mound, free of the logs at last. I caught a glimpse of its elbow as it dug its claw into something. I prayed it wasn't Ada. The sound of its growling and panting was suddenly apparent. It sounded like a starved dog, lips smacking and teeth carving into something. I held my breath. If the Wendigo had my wife, I'd unload the whole fucking chamber into its head and bash its ghostly skull into tiny pieces. But to my relief as I drew nearer, It wasn't the Wendigo devouring my wife's flesh. That relief, however, quickly turned to horror when Ada looked at me, her mouth bloody as she absently gnawed away at the corpse on the floor. No. It wasn't the Wendigo feasting on my wife. It was my wife feasting on my son. I lowered the gun. I didn't know what I was seeing. How could I? Ada sat atop of Marcus, whose bulbous head was strewn a few feet from his body. One of his eyes was missing, the other staring at me in that gormless, languid way. He'd always looked at me weird. He was a weird kid. His nose had been punched in, his lips seemingly ripped off his face, exposing his crooked, bloody teeth. Damn kid almost looked like he was smiling at me in a horribly petrifying way. Funny how I could hardly even look at him when he was alive, but now that his head was off his shoulders and his face had been brutally devoured, I couldn't look away. ''Ada!'' I stammered. She grunted, mouth half full of more of Marcus's flesh. She was pulling pieces of him like she was dipping into a bag of chips, her nails dug deep into his chest his arms, his legs, just about anywhere she could reach. She tore his body into pieces with no effort, blood spraying everywhere as she stuffed her mouth with more meat. Ada! For Christ's sake! Stop! I found my voice, but I didn't find my feet. If I did, I might have bolted the other way. She glanced over her shoulder at me. It wasn't just the blood around her mouth that had me shaking. It was her eyes. Those green eyes I'd once fallen for were now grey and swirling. She stared nothing short of death into me. She took one last chunk out of Marcus, sucked the flesh right off the bone and tossed it behind her. Then she stood up. Ada, I warned her. Stay there, I didn't finish my sentence. What could I even say? She started pacing towards me, her hands dripping with the blood of our son. Her gown was soaked with red and she moved rigidly, her head hanging loosely to the side. Ada! I tried again. Please! Her eyes were fixed on me. A crazed sort of smile painted its way onto her face and then... That's when I saw it. The creature I'd seen in the street was there hovering above her. It had to have been a split second, but I'd committed the Wendigo to memory. Its grin mirrored the smile of my wife, its face so dark I couldn't see any of the other features. Its long arms were guiding Ada, nudging her forward towards me. Get away from her! I fired into the air. Birds scattered from the trees and a wild set of hoots went out into the air, but it did nothing to stop the Wendigo spirit, or my approaching wife. Ada! She was but a mere ten paces away from me now, close enough to dive at me if she really wanted to sink her teeth into me. Ada, please, it was all I could think to say. She growled into the air like a wild savage, the veins in her neck pulsing as she screamed. She barreled in my direction heedless of my pleas. Her bloody nails outstretched towards me. So I shot her. The bullet went through her neck and she stumbled backwards stunned. Blood streamed out of the hole the bullet had made, and I expected her to drop right there and then. But she didn't. She grunted and then growled, and then she was laughing. Not her laughter, though, but the Wendigo's awful deep laughter that had me clenching at everything I had. She came at me again, but this time I hesitated. I started aiming at parts of her body as to not harm her. Stupid, I know. I'd already shot her in the throat, and now I was aiming at her leg so that she might somehow survive all of this and we could just go home and figure this all out. All we had to do was get her in the shower, wash off the blood and glue Marcus's head back on. We could save this. I could save this. I shot her in the thigh and she went down stumbling through the dirt. She didn't stay down long though. She crawled her way towards me and I shot her again, this time in the shoulder. Stay down! I cried in frustration. She came at me again and I fired into her chest. I shot two more into her stomach and again in her neck. I emptied the entire chamber into her before I heard the distinct clicking of the gun that signaled I was out of ammo, as well as out of options. Just stop! I begged her. I was sobbing like a child. I fell to one knee and hope that there was a shred of her left. Just an ounce of the woman I loved, just so she could come to her senses. No! Came the Wendigo's reply, as Ada lunged at me one last time. Stop! I roared and swung the gun at her face. I saw a tooth go flying out of her mouth as her entire head whipped around. She slipped in the muck and went down hard. But it wasn't long before the Wendigo was laughing again and Ada was readying to pounce again. Stop, I cried again as I battered her with the gun, slamming the butt of the weapon down against her skull. Stop, I shouted as the gun went flying from my hands and I started throwing my fists. I screamed at her as my fists drilled into her forehead, into her eyes, into her cheeks, smashing in her mouth, her nose and every inch of her face. I screamed as loud as I could as my fists came thundering down upon her. With each strike, the Wendigo was laughing less and less. Just fucking stop! I cried as I landed the last punch I could muster, and then collapsed on top of her, gasping for breath. I couldn't feel my hands. I tried to find the next move, but it never came. I must have laid there for hours, soaking in my wife's blood unable to move my face out of the puddle that now poured around it. The woods were silent. It was the most silence I'd ever heard in my life, the state of nothingness, until the weakest sound came out of her mouth. Jeez. I jolted upwards and looked down at the beaten pulp of flesh and choked. Her eyes were moving for just a moment. I would spend the next hour shaking her, moving her, shouting at her, but my wife was dead. I'd beaten her to death. I could feel Marcus's eye fixed on me, but I didn't look back at his mangled face. Why start now? I found the moon instead and watched as it grew further and further, obscured by the churning clouds until it was swallowed up for good. And that was the last time I saw it. Hurried footsteps came from behind. A part of me would have reached for the gun, but I didn't care. It was probably the cops anyway. The idea to avoid being accused of my wife's murder sure worked out, didn't it? I was about to lift my hands and place them on my head, but the voice that followed didn't belong to the police. Shit, the native whispered. Friend, are you okay? I just looked at him vacantly. I think I'd bitten my tongue and it made it more difficult to answer him anyway. He knelt down with me. His hands cupped around my face as he stared earnestly into my eyes. I had hoped maybe the second blessing might have avoided this. I am truly sorry. Yeah. I winced. Come with me, friend. I can help you through this. He told me. I know what it's like to have everything. I knocked his hand away. How? How could you possibly know? I know. The native sighed as he took my hand. I know what the medicine man said was true. There was another man who defeated the Wendigo. But it didn't matter in the end for him. He spoke like he was in pain now. Either I was still fueled from the encounter or just too dense to gather the meaning of his words. So what? What does it have to do? And then I realized... He nodded slowly. Like you, I came searching when it took my family. Like you, I found them. And like you... I was too late. Oh... I whispered. And we sat there in silence after that, just staring up at the sky waiting for the moon to come back. But it never did. I looked at the tormentor opposite me, as I relished in his momentary struggle to process the events I'd explained. His glasses were covered in mist, but he didn't take them off to wipe them down as he usually did. What happened to the native? He asked me, flipping a page on his pad and scribbling more shit down. Hell if I know. And that was the truth. By the time we'd made it back to the reserve, the police had that place flooded with guns pointed at me. Seems like someone may have tipped them off about Marcus's and Ada's mysterious disappearance, as well as my own. You wouldn't happen to know anything about that, would you? Aaron. Mr. Mason, I think you will do well to remember that I am the one asking the questions. Why is that? I challenged. I smelt blood in the water. I could see my tormentor, my good-for-nothing therapist of a brother-in-law squirming in his seat. You were there that night carrying out your pervy antics on your phone. You know there's more than meets the eye here. Why don't you just tell them and then we can- Mr. Mason! He stopped me. If you continue down this path, you will never be free of this asylum. Confess to what you have done and we can move on to the next stage of your therapy. It was the fucking Wendigo, I barked. Go find the natives, ask them. We cannot find these natives or the reserve you speak of because they do not exist, Aaron replied, a twitch of annoyance in his face. Mr. Mason, You have fabricated this entire story as a way of dealing with your grief. It's okay. You are an unwell man. So are you, you freak, I hissed at him. What's it like knowing your ex-wife is a dirty slut? She even got your house, I laughed at him. I'm all you've got left, you prick. That's why you took this job when they offered it to you. Because I'm the only thing that reminds you of what you once had. Curious how your wife's records have no mention of her brother. Who is Aaron, Mr. Mason? Don't play games with me. You and I know that you conveniently misplaced these records so no one would ask questions. You're not fooling anyone. It appears we are done for today. I will see you in the morning, Mr. Mason, he declared and hurried out of the door. I was left in the same position as I always was, staring down at my hands as I ran my fingers over each knuckle, every one of them stained with blood… her blood. I sat back and waited for the strongmen to come in and unshackle me from my confines. I wondered whether they'd talk to me this time, or whether they'd just ignore me with those cold, emotionless eyes. Maybe I'd open with a joke this time. Pretty soon my thoughts drifted the way they always did and I found myself trying to picture my beautiful Ada's face, but all I could see was blood.